Welcome to Going Further and Higher, Shakespeare Martineau's podcast in which we discuss topical or indeed long-running themes in higher and further education. My name is Smita Jamdar and I'm partner and head of education at Shakespeare Martineau and I'm joined today by a veritable array of esteemed colleagues. Uh, we have Joanna Forbes and Geraldine Swanton who are legal directors in the education team and Tom Long, who's head of further education and a partner in the employment team. It's December, so inevitably in today's episode, we're going to review some of the notable issues that we've had to deal with in 2021 and look ahead to our hopes and fears for the sector in 2022. So, Tom, let's start with you. What do you think has been the standout issue uh, we've seen in EFI this year? I suppose my undoubted highlight of 2021 has been the greater focus by the government on FE and skills generally. And I think specifically the publication of the Skills for Jobs white paper back in January feels like a a long time ago now. Um, And and I wouldn't say that it brightened up the New Year lockdown, but it certainly was one of the highlights among a few, I suppose. Um, I think there's a lot to be pleased about in the the white paper, Um, not least the um, overdue recognition um, for the role that FE um, has got to play in our national life. Um, I mean, I still still think there's a lot of detail and practicality to be worked through um, and sort of throwing it forward to, to 2022. I'm sort of hoping that in a, a year's time when we're, we're doing this and, and looking back, I will be able to say that one of my highlights of 2022 would be the passing of the bill that's currently going through Parliament to enact the white paper and some sort of positive moves on some of the bits where we're still a little bit unsure. I think there's certainly a sign that the government is starting to listen to the FE sector more. Um, For example, there's obviously significant concern um, about the rushed withdrawal um, of BTECs in favour of T levels, yeah. um, and, and it was obviously great that the government acknowledged. I think it was sort of November, um, timely for the AOC conference that there was going to be a, a stay of execution on the funding for BTECs for another year up to sort of twenty twenty four. I mean, th- there are of course, as I say, still issues to work through. Um, I, I think the. The, the focus in the white paper on employers driving this forward um, whilst um, one you know understands that their views are important could potentially be a little bit misguided and perhaps underlines a, a mistrust at the heart of government in terms of the ability of the FE sector to, to drive this forward themselves. Um, there's also the, the the rather narrow focus of the, the FE white paper. Yes, I mean, it's great. And, you know, looking at the expansion of T-levels and IOTs and the lifelong learning entitlement, but, you know, there's a lack of information in there about, you know, digital skills and yeah, basic skills of maths and, and English. Um, funding, I, I think, as well, um, is something that, you know, sort of you've got your fingers crossed really for 2022. Been some really good announcements in the last 24, 48 hours uh, about funding um, for for 22, 23. Um, actually sort of putting some meat on the bones of what Rishi Sunak said um, in the autumn spending review. I mean, he came out with sort of you know, figure of what nearly four billion pounds um, for the next few years, but um, 
some of the detail of that is now coming through. Um, and of course, the announcement of nine new um, IOTs today. So I think we're getting there. Um, I think it's been a really positive year um, for the sector. As I say, there's still um, still some things to work through. But in terms of 2022, if we can continue on the path that we are, I, I think it's a, it's a good path to be on for the FE sector. Absolutely. And as you say that, I think some of the stuff that's that's still to come through, I think of those, the one that I'm most interested in is the lifelong learning entitlement, because it could be transformative and radical or it could end up just being a bit of a dog's breakfast. And it might be fun to take a bet right now on which one of those it's going to turn out to be. But perhaps, you know, already where I suspect it might end up. So I won't put you I won't put you on the spot like that. Um, so, Joanna, what, what's been the, the, the sort of recurring issues that have been coming across your desk this year that uh, that we might reflect on? And also, what do you think are going to be some of the key issues next year? Uh, well, I think I mean, I've been doing a lot of uh, governance review work. I've done you know more than half a dozen reviews over the course of this year. And um, it's been quite interesting to see how the focus on governance is really... <laughs> The same issues keep coming up, which is slightly disheartening, actually. Um, we're talking about, you know, the diversity of the governing body is always a problem in every institution, big or small. It doesn't seem to be being tackled well at all. Um, academic governance in, in, in universities is, is another concern. Universities don't seem to have really grasped how to properly deal with their Senate or their academic board and 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 what what the, the relationship between the two should be. Um, so I think that's a concern. And also just the student voice and how to engage with that. I think most many universities and colleges have not really grasped how best to do that yet. Having a couple of students <clears throat> on the board is really not adequate. Um, but we're not really seeing anything very innovative yet, which is slightly sad, I think. Um, so those are the kind of things that have been coming up. And it is just a bit disheartening, perhaps, that uh, we're seeing them, you know, this year and we have seen them the year before and the year before. So perhaps going forward for 2022, we may start to see that. I mean, I have seen some interesting developments on the diversity point, which, are, you know, things like apprentice, apprentice governors, which um, one of our university clients is trying at the moment, which is a scheme um, being run to try and bring in governors from a more diverse background younger people giving them a taste of what it's like so maybe initiatives like that I think the other thing that's going to happen of course is that um that the focus on governance of FE colleges is going to be much more of a concern um, and yeah. you know the government have published a draft guidance on external governance reviews in light of the white paper that Tom was talking about a minute ago um, and I think probably that's something that FE governing bodies have not done in the past so much perhaps when they've been in crisis they've had the fe commissioner but otherwise they, they haven't been used to as universities have having external consultants coming in and crawling all over the governing body and what it does so i think you know that could be a little eye-opener for some of our fe clients perhaps and perhaps um, an interesting yeah an interesting different slightly different perspective on governance from our point of view yeah, yeah. I think the academic governance point is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. it's sort of the area where um, governing bodies have had least exposure for for many years. And although they've been moving gradually towards mm -hmm. more oversight, more understanding, I think for obvious reasons, if you're not an academic, if you don't have that background, if you don't have an HE background, it is quite hard to understand exactly what is it that you're looking at and looking for. Yeah, and, and I think perhaps there's been too much of a reliance placed on the, you know, the the members of the executive and the and the and the representatives of the of the academic staff 
on the governing body just to make you know to nod those sorts of things through when obviously the OFS is is not you know satisfied with that it's a collective issue for the whole governing body and they really need to get on top of it don't they so they they do I mean in some ways we're very fortunate because there there haven't been any big scandals or crises in the academic governance arena um but I think you're right that um, it, it's it's still a work in progress, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, before I come to you, uh, Jerry, I was going to hijack the, the, the session just to talk a little bit about my own sort of personal observations for uh, what have been the standout issues for, for 2021 and what, what I'm looking forward to in 2022. So for me, and I guess the work that I've been doing this year, probably the standout issue has been the culture wars and what they mean for higher education Um, particularly around the legislation that's going through Parliament um, in relation to freedom of speech. So I had the absolute, um, I'd love to say pleasure, but it definitely wasn't a pleasure, um, but experience of speaking to um, the the parliamentary committee that was looking at the bill committee. And I'm still really, really anxious that we've got all this time, parliamentary time that frankly could be spent on a lot of other things, being devoted to an issue that is of questionable uh, prominence on campus it's clearly an issue but how big an issue um and it's going to result in a bill which is going to create an awful lot of potential burden for institutions without necessarily getting to the heart of the problem so the heart of the problem is we have some issues in which there are sort of fiercely divided views and people are not able to engage in conversation constructively about that there is there is you know real anger on both sides and real um, protest on both sides. So a bit of legislation sort of beating up universities for not ensuring free speech isn't going to tackle that. And um, I was reading about the University of Auckland, which has just announced that it wants to curate a conversation about um, Maori uh, contribution to science and knowledge, which I, I'm afraid I don't know enough about the issue to, to, to explain it any more than that. But it's clearly a very controversial issue in New Zealand. It's creating quite a lot of division. And the university has said, we are going to curate a kind of fact-based, reasoned, respectful discussion about this issue to try to agree how society moves forward, given the divisions that exist. And I thought that was actually a really inspiring and uplifting thing if it works it might not work it might all descend into you know screaming and shouting which would be not edifying for anybody but if it doesn't if it if it works as it's intended to then that is surely such a great role that universities could play in all the things that divide society of which there seem to just be you know ever increasing numbers so for me 2021 that was a highlight well I say highlight that was a feature and that's my hope for uh, 2022. My other hope for 2022 is is actually for both HE and FE because over this year I've had lots of conversations where it looks like uh, the levelling up agenda, um, which government keeps threatening and promising a white paper on, which we, we haven't yet seen, is starting to trickle into, well I'm going to say trickle into, it's starting to be a, a, a sort of positively recognised by universities and colleges as something that they are there to do. And so they're already thinking about how they can meet those four things that government talked about. So improving local leadership, improving um, standards of living, ensuring that um, public services are as good as they can be and improving civic pride. They're all areas where universities and colleges have such a powerful role to play that if we take that at face value, we should just be getting on with it. And I'm really hoping in 2022, we just get on with it. So 
Jerry, last well, by no means least. <laughs> well, I think I might be least because I haven't been enthused by anything as lofty as the issues the three of you were talking about. <laughs> And my issue is rather a micro issue, um, which beguiled me not because of it, because of it, it was complexity, but um, it was mandatory vaccines because it's something I've never had to think about in in my twenty four years of uh, practice, or at least think about in any great detail. And there were two issues that arose in, in twenty twenty one relating to vaccines. Some universities actually toyed with the idea of requiring students to be vaccinated before they came back to campus in September or before they um, before they were able to take up new places. And obviously, very noble intention, but it raised really very worrying ethical and le- legal issues for me. And the ethical issues were if you're forcing if you're forcing people to to do the good, um, uh, then th- that becomes an evil in itself. So if I've lost choice, I've ceased to be human. That was that was the ethical issue. The other issue was a. Uh, there was a danger of breaching human rights legislation because the spectre of compulsory vaccination meant that, um, you know, requiring people to undergo almost, not quite, but almost a medical procedure could be a disproportionate interference with their right to privacy. And uh, refusing unvaccinated students access to campus also risked uh, breaching human rights and that it created a difference in treatment between students, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, which might not be justified. Of course, refusing unvaccinated students admission or preventing them from returning to campus could also amount to discrimination, direct discrimination on the grounds of religion and belief and indirect discrimination on the basis of perhaps race, uh, because some groups are much more suspicious of uh, vaccinations than others. And then the other issue was mandatory vaccination by uh, stealth of parliament, and that's by law where all healthcare students in placement from April will have to be vaccinated. And that raised really interesting legal issues from a contractual point of view, because universities were saying, my goodness, Come April, we will have students who who do not want to be vaccinated, who cannot fulfil the learning outcomes. So then they may have to, uh, you know, pick up the student contract and question whether there was a force majeure clause there that would allow universities to bring the student contract to an end because um, the force majeure would have been, a, you know, maybe some change in law. But that raised the question, is this a genuine force majeure set of circumstances because the student by omission um, makes it difficult for themselves to complete the learning outcomes? And then there was the um, challenge of offering students places. Every place now would have to be offered on the basis of uh, an ability to comply with the mandatory vaccination requirements unless a person was exempt. And the mandatory vaccination issue raised uh, some interesting data protection uh, queries. Um, On the face of it, initially, it was difficult to see which of the legal justifications would warrant a university, in fact, processing that data instead of the placement provider. But when when looked at in much more detail, there are several justifications on which a university could rely. But the key was that keep the the data usually within an occupational health environment and to ensure that it's not widely disseminated unnecessarily throughout the institution. And then my hopes, well, no, my my fear 
for 2022 is somewhat akin to yours, Samita. Um, I'm very, very worried about the attenuation of the Human Rights Act. It has been a very, very useful piece of legislation, a fantastic formula for universities in their dealings with students. It, what it essentially seeks to do is to, to achieve a balance between communal and individual rights, and no right is absolute. It says to universities, look, if you want to uh, uh, interfere with a right, it has to be for a legitimate aim, and it has to be proportionate, and it has to be accessible. Um, I think what the government is trying to do, uh, essentially, is to, well, one, one fear is that it's trying to reduce the level of accountability of government. And I, I wonder whether it will make it um, provide less protection for individuals and therefore for students. Uh, I think somebody said um, it was ironic that uh, the, the, the proposed changes to the le legislation was badged as promoting civil liberties and rights, but actually it might end up reducing those civil liberties and rights. And one of the potential changes to the current legislation is that it will make it more difficult for individuals to bring claims. Um, and while there haven't been many claims at all now, it might nevertheless act as a deterrent to students who feel their rights have been unjustifiably interfered with to actually um, make a complaint and ultimately to bring a, um, a claim. So that is my fear, that there will be a reduction in individual rights in 2022. Yeah, there's the two thoughts went through my head as you were talking there, Jerry. So the first one was, having said that you were going to be far less lofty than us, you ended up talking about what it means to be a human being, which I thought was <laughs> possibly as lofty as it's ever going to get. Um, and, and secondly, I think yeah, the, the, the point you observed about, you know, to have um, a, a sort of uh, command paper which talks about enhancing civil liberties, which does the very opposite. Of course, with the Freedom of Speech Bill, we've seen a definition of academic freedom that restricts it way beyond the current uh, mm. definition in the guise of expanding and protecting it. So I, I think you're absolutely right to be sceptical about, mm. about those, those aims. Um, that was, you know, great. Thank you very much, all of you, for, think, for thinking through what, what, we, what we've seen this year and what we can look forward to next year. And... Uh, to all our listeners, thank you very much for listening. We hope you're going to join us next time. And don't forget to hit the uh, subscribe button uh, if you'd like to do that. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do leave a review. In the meantime, from all of us at Shakespeare Martineau, Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. <laughs>